Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old-school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 35, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun because my guest is wrestling Twitter and AEW phenomenon, RJ City going to talk about him in just a little bit before i get to that i want to say that as this episode is going to air or whatever the terminology is for podcasts on uh on the wednesday uh that it is going to air the 28th i am in las vegas or i'm planning to be for the cauliflower alley club reunion and uh i went last year had a ball so uh I, i i'm assuming as you're listening to this i'm having a ball once again it was great. Um, I'm selling copies of my book, Blood and Fire, but I'm also there to meet friends and colleagues and connect with people. Um, I will probably be talking more about it next week and what it was like and all that stuff. They're having an amazing list of honorees, honestly, unlike anything I think they've done before, where the first night, the Tuesday night, which, which would have already happened by the time you hear this, is sort of like a designated as a Memphis night. So they're they're honoring Jerry the King Lawler, um, Jimmy Hart, uh, the Midnight, uh, I'm sorry, the Rock and Roll Express, uh, people like that. And also being honored are John Bradshaw Layfield on the main banquet night. Kevin Sullivan is the men's honoree. Um, Conan is getting uh, is the Lucha Libre honoree. Jacqueline, uh, Jackie Moore is the women's honoree. Billy Silverman, the referee honoree. Steve Johnson, the great Steve Johnson, writing partner of Greg Oliver, is going to be uh, the historian and writer honoree this year, the Jim Melby Award. So this is, I'm sure, going to be a lot of fun, and I'll fill you in next week and in the next episode as to how it all went. So that's going to be cool. Also want to make mention of a technical matter with Shut Up and Wrestle. It's actually some very positive news. So um, as you know, for me, getting the interviews for this show, it's all about the people. It's all about the stories. And sometimes the technology isn't optimal and the audio might not be optimal in certain cases, especially when people are calling in on cell phones and things. So there have been a few episodes that I've done where the audio has been maybe a little imbalanced, a little uneven, maybe a little a little work on the part of the listener to to really listen especially to the guests and i hope you've been doing that i've hope you've been you've been uh taking the the extra attention because i think these conversations are worth it however that said i've been working very hard to improve the technical and audio quality of the show so for those of you that have mentioned that um help is on the way and actually this episode's the beginning of that because thanks to the the technological wizard jace nakarado 
or Jay Sharknado, if you prefer, on the Arcadian Vanguard team. I've been getting some great tips. I don't need to bore you with the details, but some great tips as to how to get the audio sounding as, as best as it possibly can, especially for the guests. So I hope that this week's episode is an indication of that. I still have, uh, because of, I bank these episodes a few weeks out, so I still have one episode yet to come, uh, which was recorded the old way. So it might be a slight dip in quality once that comes. Uh, that's the Keith Caramello interview uh coming down the road but other than that it should be smooth sailing i'm hoping the audio will be just beautiful from here on out or as good as it could possibly be so enough of that techno babble let's get to some great wrestling talk and this week it's more than just wrestling talk okay i'm gonna get to it now in a second but rj city is uh, was a pleasure to talk to and i'm glad we finally connected and I was flattered that he actually knew my name from the old WWE magazine days. So he was just as excited to talk to me as I was to talk to him, as you'll hear. And I have to say, for the people that enjoy talk about showbiz history and old school entertainment and Hollywood and things, this is definitely going to be a show for you. Because if you were a fan, let's say, like I was, of the old Gilbert Gottfried Amazing Colossal podcast, for example. I know I talk about that show a lot. This week's episode is really like an episode of the Gilbert podcast, except with wrestling mixed in. Uh, you'll see what I mean when you listen. So if that's the kind of stuff that you enjoy, this is the episode for you. This was a blast, and I think you're going to have as much fun listening to it as I did doing it. So uh, let's get to it. I'm going to take you to it right now. Okay, so this week on Shut Up and Wrestle, it is my privilege, it is my great pleasure to welcome somebody who is often called your favorite wrestler who you've never actually seen wrestle, although in my research, I was able to discover that this man definitely has been wrestling. In fact, he's been, this is, uh, he may not want people to know this, he's been wrestling since at least 2006 that I could discover. You know him these days as a backstage interviewer in AEW and the host of the Hey You YouTube show. And he might actually be the last person in AEW who hasn't been suspended at this point, so that's good. Um, Van Johnson enthusiast, friend of Mario Cantone, AWA stalwart, and a man who once took part in a six-man tag in which the opposing team was composed of Colt Cabana, Greg the Hammer Valentine, and the Honky Tonk Man. I can only be talking about the elusive and wonderful... R.J. City. Well, thank you, number one. Number two, can we talk about that six-man tag right Please, now? because we... I, I'm proud of my research. You know, the first thing I do is go on cage match, yes. and I'm going, because I'm like, no offense, but I'm going, did this guy ever actually wrestle? I don't know. I have to find out. And and um, there it was, <laughs> and it just jumped out. There were a lot of things that jumped out on there, yes. but that one, I was like, how how did that happen? So there you go. But what you did not mention was that on my team was a David Arquette. Oh, God. Now you're asking way too much of me because I didn't yeah. write it down. Yeah, it's okay. The, 
first of all, thank you for doing some. I don't have a Wikipedia page, so it's very hard to research. I don't know why I don't have one. If it's like a Freemasons thing I have to do. Well, my wife, my wife tells me you could create your own, which I feel like that's cheating. Like I could throw my own birthday party too. (laughs) people do that. But that's like that's like vanity publishing. No offense to the vanity book publishers out there. But so it was me, David and a guy named The System. In Minnesota, it was a casino named Fortune, the Fortune Bay Casino, and I believe it was Fortune Bania is the name of the show. <laughs> Sting was there, Jimmy Hart was there, uh, Lisa Marie, ODB, and it was us against Colt, Greg, and the Honky Tonk Man. And uh, here's my few <laughs> remembrances. One, it was raining. Two, Greg the Hammer Valentine walked up the ring steps like a bear. <laughs> Uh, on his hands and knees. He also, I will say, from behind, his hair is so beautiful and it's so, like, incongruent with who mm. he is and, like, the rest of his body. You know, from behind, you're like, oh, uh, you know, good evening, madam. And you're like, oh, no. Sorry, Mr. Valentine. Um, we, I think me and Cole tried to keep David from being in the ring at the same time with Greg in case uh, Greg got a little stretch happy. We right. tried to s- spare David. But I will also say, David bought an action figure at the pre-show meet and greet from the Honky Tonk Man and got him to sign it. And then when they got in the ring, David took the arm and Honky went down on both knees for David. Wow. And me and Colt were like, like, we had never (laughs) seen that. We just shot a look across the apron. That's like the most I've ever seen. That's a very giving performer. So you should have bought an action figure from him then. I know. If if only I was in the hole, I think the match would have went a lot better. <laughs> but there's a lot of that on the on the uh, and I, and I promise we're not just going to talk about you here. But, sure, sure. But um, there's a lot of that on on your resume. I was I was looking mm-hmm. through and going, you know, and you know what? This happens a lot with people who who make their living, you know, on the indie circuit. Is you find yourself in the ring sometimes with people where you're going, Oh my God. Like I've, I used to watch this guy on TV, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. It gets, it gets surreal a lot. I was also able to be in a a pilot and a movie with Roddy Piper, which was very surreal. I, I, it was a little pilot. It was a short film, but it was a backdoor pilot or whatever it is. It's, it's online. And nobody told me, him and Brett are in it, and nobody told me he was going to be in it. So I walked on set, and I saw him, and I just freaked out. It was just incredibly strange. We couldn't have been nicer. And then we, I was in a movie with him, and here's a name that I think only your listeners may get, Diane Carroll. Oh, yes. She just passed away about a yeah. year or two ago, I think. Yes. Right? So we were all in a nice little group together. The 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 wife at one time of Vic Damone. Oh my God! Yeah, Vic. Let's. Yeah. By the way, can I flip this around on you? Please. Can I ask you some questions? Because Go ahead. I will say this is a surreal experience for me because I've read your name so much. I don't even. I I haven't read your name as a child. I would just see it. You know, as a child. As a child, oh. it would be imprinted on me. You and and <laughs> Keith Elliott Greenberg. Good and, friend. And. It's so weird to look like one day I I was like driving somewhere and I thought, oh, my God, all wrestling magazines are fake. (laughs) The whole industry, they're all fake. Like, what? What? How is this a thing? This is insane. Don't tell anyone. 
I could not like I could not wrap my head around it, but I have so so many of them, your finest works, and I none oh. are coming to mind. Thank but you. I well, know that's that probably all that they deserve. That's that's <laughs> that's totally understandable. But thank so, you. Yes. Here's a question to you because you you were at, worked at that company. I won't say the name of it. I don't think you're um, contractually allowed to, right? These no, days. no, I can. No one cares. I like <laughs> pretending that it's an issue because it's fun. It has but two of the same letters as the place where you work in different order. A, I'm like the AWA is what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes, yes, that's right. One of the um, letters. So I did on my YouTube uh, a review of all the WrestleMania national anthems. Oh, that's great! Uh, this is a couple years ago. This is the beginning of the the pandemic. And it led me down a hole of some very bizarre research that WrestleMania 9 seems to not have anyone. There's no there's no video footage, there's no photo, there's no nothing. Online, it's alleged that it was Diane Carroll. But I can't find any verifiable information hmm. on that. And then WrestleMania 11... I believe does not have one. And uh, ten has little Richard. Ten has little Richard. It was either was eleven there. or twelve, or maybe twelve is the one with. Do you remember Fishbone? There was yes. Uh, okay. Well, well, Fishbone. There's a weird story about Fishbone, isn't there? Where they actually recorded something, or they were gonna do it, and they got turned down or rejected. Yes. Something they, weird happened. It was. They were advertised, they did a video for it, and then at the last minute, I guess they were canceled, and they got a woman from the Special Olympics who did it. Right. And the the rumor was they actually, you know, the, the suits caught wind of what Fishbone was actually planning, and it was right. a little too progressive for their tastes. Having said that, my, my tag team partner, David, is friends with the lead singer of Fishbone, and I've asked him to put me in touch. <laughs> Because these are the things that are important to me. Well, I know one thing about that. I can shed a tiny bit of light on that. So Please. another another one of those mysterious names from magazine mastheads, Tom Buchanan, mm -hmm. who I also had on this show and who was the photographer for years. He has been posting a lot lately on social media because he's going through all his stuff. And he posted this stuff about Fishbone and that because he shot them for this. Wow. And he also said that like it was really happening. They had they had promotional materials and he said they were it was kind of unfortunate because they were really big fans. They weren't just like, oh, we convinced Fishbone to do this like mm -hmm. they were super excited to do it. And then when they got rejected, it was this big letdown where they, they were actually excited to be performing, you know, at WrestleMania. You know, I don't know if so Ray you, Charles was, you know what I mean? <laughs> you don't put any of the blame on Fishbone. No. Well, okay. not at least not according to what I saw. I saw it was more. It was like what you said. It was the brass and even Vince himself, I think, who was just like kind of not comfortable with what they wanted to do, I guess. But yeah. I mean, didn't, you, he what? probably <laughs> thought they said Leon Redbone and he was interested. <laughs> That that would have been so much better, though, you know. I but would love that. Didn't they have? But didn't they have the DX band do a do the national right. anthem? Fun. They relented when it was too late, and then right. it turned out to be a worse decision. But back to WrestleMania 11, oh, I believe yes. 11 does not have one. I think no video, no footage. And then I was told, right. maybe I read it online, that it was actually Vic Damone 
And I was like, whoa, there's a conspiracy here because Vic Damone and Diane Carroll used to be married. And isn't it weird that they're both alleged to have sung, but there's zero footage to back it up. So for nine, I'd never heard either of those rumors. But for nine, I did hear that there was nobody. And um, but I didn't know about the Diane Carroll thing. I definitely didn't know about the Vic Damone thing. That is strange because I also discovered I don't know if you've seen the there's a show on Paramount Plus called The Offer, which is all about yes. um, it's all about the making of The Godfather. But it's, it's not a documentary. It's like dramatized actors, the whole thing. And they talked about on there that Vic Damone was supposed to play Johnny Fontaine in The Godfather, but he got spooked by the mob. Mm-hmm. And he backed out, and that's how they got um, Al, Al Martino. Martino. And right. I'm friends with Al Martino's daughter. <laughs> Her name is Allison Martino. She runs a, a wonderful Instagram. It's I think it's called Vintage Los Angeles, and she knows everything about everything. We I went out to it. dinner once. Oh, great. So yeah. I would just grill her on everything. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's amazing, because... With Al Martino, well, you probably know this then. I mean, Al Martino kind of fled the mob. I mean, he wound up going, you know, he's one of those singers where the mob tried to exert an influence on him. You know, he was Italian. They, they approached him as well, a countryman. I mean, they, they were show business at that point, too. Right. But he didn't want any part of them. At least that's what I heard. And that's why he went to Europe and he had a whole career in Europe trying to right. get away from them. And then. So that when the Godfather people approached him, I think at that time, he wasn't that well known in the United States. They were Mm -hmm. sort of like, who is this guy? But, you know, they needed somebody to play the pseudo, not really, but kind of Frank Sinatra, you know? Right. Oh, also, I want to throw this at you because you may be the one person who has the contacts to help me. There is an episode of the Mike Douglas show where... And you've definitely seen the photos. I cannot find the full episode. He is on the beach. There is a wrestling ring on the beach. And it is him and Jerry Lewis against Andre the Giant and a wrestler, an AWA guy whose name escapes me, a big, I think he was a powerlifter guy. And Vern Gagne is also there. Yes, I've seen the picture. Um, I've never seen the actual footage. There's I'm, a very small clip. It's some retrospective they did on Mike Douglas talking about, oh, he would do anything. He was wild like that. And he's like <laughs> being lightly held up by Andre the Giant. I think that the Mike Douglas shows, maybe I'm thinking of Dick Cavett. The Mike Douglas shows are on Shout TV, the Shout okay. TV streaming platform. I don't know if they have all of them, but that might be it. I feel like if it was there, somebody would have found it by now, though. Right. So it must and be a I've little looked, trickier. And I've also searched the Paley Center archives. Of course you would do that. Yeah. Right. I did that, the same thing. That's Not how that. my before YouTube, which now makes me sound even older, but every summer I would go to New York and do that. And I would find these weird old wrestling documentaries. Like there's one called, I remember gorgeous George. I don't think I know that one. It's a guy. And it's again, early AWA. And he trains with uh, Kurt Hennig in the, the ring. And it's all like, it's funny to watch it now. Cause it's all like rib workouts where <laughs> Kurt knew he would hurt the guy. Right. It's fantastic. <laughs> and then he ends up, I think managing Kurt while he wrestles Bachwinkle. 
that is a so oh wow so that's got to be like mid 80s i guess or late yeah. late-ish 80s see that is really strange to me because okay so for people that don't know if you're not from new york or you don't go there the paley center is kind of like this it used to be called the museum of television and radio it basically is that it, so you can go there <clears throat> and you can look up pretty much anything like i don't know what the restrictions are but i know again like the times i've gone there I, of course what am i looking up is wrestling it's not sure. just wrestling like one no. time i looked up the the episode of ed sullivan where the beatles were just because mm-hmm. i wanted to see the entire show oh my god but, so you you sat through a marty allen set and frank gorshin frank gorshin's on yes. there and the thing is Fr- frank gorshin was brilliant on there as he always was yeah but that audience just wants to see the beatles and it's of course it's a bad crowd for him it's just teenage girls yeah. screaming no one's laughing at his kirk douglas and burt lancaster no, impressions of course not as they normally would but you know but it also it used to be it's not really a museum where it's like it's not like the smithsonian where they have the funds as jacket it's really more of an right. archive. Where you, and you used to go in, you used to search on these little computers, you used to pick like two hours worth of shows. They would print out these little codes for you and they would then call your name. And then you got into go to this viewing room with the headphones and it was all dark and very <laughs> serious. And I do remember, I actually watched the, the full episode of uh, when Jerry Lawler slapped Andy Kaufman. Cause I'd never seen the full episode, but you know, you'd always see it in clips. Didn't didn't he have brother Theodore on that one? Or I believe he and talk yeah. about oh my god, what a wonderfully insane person! I know, and and I this is this is going places exactly where I wanted it to go. <laughs> by the way, but because now you got me thinking. So brother Theodore, who was this really eccentric comedian, I I don't even know if you'd call him that. I don't know what he was, but he was a new neurologist. Yeah, but he is in the in the nineteen seventies animated film of the hobbit that was made mm-hmm. by rankin bass he is the original voice of Gollum, so he was like the first Gollum, brother theodore there you go and he's also i guess anyone would just know him from the burbs oh right yeah see that was a much easier yeah well i mean right? that's his, i think only film role too so uh, he go ahead no i was gonna say so so i was saying this before we started but for people that have been listening, as you can probably figure out by now. One of the reasons that I wanted to have you on, because I don't typically have, like I said to you, uh, wrestlers that are, you know, under the age of 50, let's say, right. on on this show, uh, is, you know, because this is an old school themed show, uh, we don't really talk about current things that much unless it relates. Right. But for people that know you, and you've, you've become this, this Twitter phenomenon, I have to say. Um, That's a generous on, term. On, no, no. Yeah. Uh, listen. Yes, we're in the wrestling bubble. Fine. Say whatever you sure. want to say. But within that bubble, look, I mean, uh, in, in my mind, you are, you became, you were like, a, <laughs> you're going to hate this, but you were in a category with like someone like Dan Housen, who your your favorite person, as people know, who see yes. your clips, but somebody who created something for themselves on social media in a way that wouldn't have been possible before social media. But it also created this interesting phenomenon, which I'm glad that you're you're able to poke fun of of people knowing you, loving you, thinking you're hilarious and great, but also not actually having seen you wrestle a match. No, right. 
But from that following, from following you and, and knowing you on there, I got to see clearly this is somebody who you're in that Venn diagram, which <laughs> there aren't a lot of people in there. I'm in there. I mentioned to you, David Marquez is in there. Yes. Of people who are conversant on old school wrestling and old school just showbiz in, in general, it's it's a it's a tight knit community. It's very small. <laughs> so As I, I often say, my my demo is dead. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I no longer with us. I started seeing your posts a few years back and going, There's something I, wrong with this person. No, no, no. But going like how I, I don't know how to put this, but just it's it's that experience you have where you're just especially because people like us, if I may say, <laughs> we don't have a lot of people to talk about these things with. Right. And right. I think that's another reason why we both loved the Gilbert Gottfried Amazing Colossal Podcast, because oh, it oh accumulated God. all those people. So when you find another person who can make a joke about, like I said at the beginning of the show, Van Johnson or something, yes. you go, oh, this is one of my people. <laughs> yes, it. it's I always say it's like a dog whistle, but a good one. <laughs> they always say dog whistles are for racism. I'm like, can we use a dog whistle for something else? If it I say that. Van or if I a perfect example, I, uh, I was going to the airport the other day and I was wearing a Lawrence Welk shirt. And the Uber driver was an old man, but th and this is how old Lawrence Welk is. He was an old man, but he told me about an older man he knew <laughs> who used to love or Lawrence Welk. So not even the old man. And then sometimes, like, I, I, and I don't know, I guess I learned about these things backwards. Like, I would be into the old stuff, but then I would see things like, I, I remember the first Three Stooges thing I have, and it's incredibly sad is their cartoon. It was a VHS of their cartoon and they yeah. did live bumpers in between and it's they're in color and it's not curly, it's curly joe and like yeah. we're in trouble cuz it's really really sad. But then you go backwards and you learn these things or something like the Muppet show where yeah. no guest was in their prime. Not only that but what's forgotten about the Muppet show other than everything but I mean what's forgotten and it's kind of was an important part of it, but it's not a part of it in the current like Disney incarnation is that the Muppet show itself in the seventies and eighties was meant to be this like nostalgic look back at vaudeville and music yeah. halls and really old school entertainment. It was meant to have that vibe to it. It wasn't really meant to be something hip and modern and for kids. Right. No, it was a throwback, and they would do, you know, a, a Kay Ballard. She has absolutely no reason to be a guest <laughs> on The Muppet Show. I'm sorry. Milton Berle. Milton Berle, another example. But then you you learn about these people, and you go backwards, and I go really farther and farther back now to the point where I really have no one to talk to. Yes. And Oh, that's... I'm oh, sorry. I, I don't mean to keep interrupting, but things that you say then spark off something in my mind, because I, I have a friend who is like me and we have conversations like this. And one of the things we always say is because we're at a point now where in our mind, like old people are not really old people like, like, yes. you know, they're baby boomers, which in my mind are not old people, you know, like, like yes. when I think of an old person. 
I think of somebody, you know, from when I was a kid that is going to start talking to me about, you know, Glenn Miller right. and, and Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. And, you know, the de- growing up in the depression. And right. so now when I when I whenever I find myself, as I often do, in a conversation with an old person who I would call old, let's say over retirement age. OK, okay? yes. Or, even 70s. And, yeah. And then I, I, I start to make cultural references that even they don't get mm-hmm. and and they'll go to me oh my god yeah my parents used to used to tell me about that and, th- and that's when i i go you know even the old people aren't old people anymore now yeah no somebody a bunch of people sent it to me there was a, a tweet out that the cast of friends is now older than the golden girls when they were doing the golden girls and it was like yeah because we old shamed the golden girls they were not that old at all and they no. made Estelle, you know, dye her hair white. They made them to look big. Right. I feel so bad. I mean, now it would just be like Sex in the City or something. They would be like flirty and fun in Miami, having a time. But back then we were like, no, no, these women are old. And any love they find is going to be a miracle. <laughs> but see, the, the the funny thing about that show is that at the time, it was meant to be very progressive it was like right they had these older women and they weren't saying oh they're not that old they weren't trying to say that but they were saying yes they're older women yes they're a little bit more than middle-aged but they're not dead they can still have love lives they can still go out and meet men and it's and it's okay and and they can be free about it and and um that was a huge statement to make like i i remember you know my grandmother loved watching that show be because it was very validating for her. She's right. watching it. And at that time, you know, she's maybe in her fifties and sixties. And I remember my grandfather just being just disgusted, <laughs> just disgust, disgusted at the idea that older women who, you know, were single could still have a romantic life. It was just, right. it was reprehensible to him. Thinkable. Yeah. I also think part of the problem was that, B. Arthur looked so relatively old for most of her career. Like she always kind of had that gray hair. Right. You know, so if people think you're old in the beginning of your career, (laughs) you know, then it's then you're like twice as old to them. People have said to me sometimes uh, or they people will always say, oh, you know, people looked older back then, you know, just looked older than they really were. And I actually take the opposite view because here's Mm. the thing. You can't really say that because then you're you're saying that basically all throughout recorded history until up until now, people looked older than they really were until now. Now people right. look their real age, which is a ridiculous thing to claim. So what I think is it's actually the reverse, is that people today make a much stronger effort to actually look mm-hmm. younger than they are. Yes. The people back then looked their actual age right <laughs> the people now try to look let's say 20 30 years younger than they real including myself rj sure i am the age right now <laughs> i yes. am the age that archie bunker was when all in the family started isn't that insane well i and am then 47 years old which is insane me and my friend go back and forth sending uh pictures of earthquake to each other and he will be like 22. And you're like, no, this is makes zero sense. I will say back in the day, you must agree with this. Soap was worse. 
Shampoo was very harsh. And public okay. smoking was like really, really bad. You're absolutely right. The smoking's a big part of it. Yes, you can't leave that out of the equation. That the the yeah. the way it would age people and drinking yes. too, but but smoking sure. especially the way it would really age people. You're absolutely right. That is part of it. The smoking yeah. cannot it's like be vodka discounted. doesn't hang in the air. Right, right. It just gets in your face, right. ages you. But you know the you're talking about earthquake and 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 bringing it excuse me, into the wrestling realm. I posted yes. something the other day on Twitter because I was watching, I think it was the, the A&E thing they did on WWE versus WCW. Yeah. And so they were taught, they were showing the old billionaire Ted skits mm-hmm. with the huckster and the nacho man. And they have Hogan, you know, their version of Hogan. And he's got like a walker and yeah, his yeah, yeah. skin is sagging and he's like falling on the floor. And I did a quick little bit of research <laughs> and I, and I discovered That in 1996, when those videos were made, Hulk Hogan was the age that of today of people like CM Punk, Brock Lesnar, John Cena, uh, AJ Styles, you know, who, yes, they're not rookies, but we would never think of them as just some ancient dinosaurs. I mean, at least I wouldn't. I don't know. I wouldn't think of them that way. Yeah, no, it's it's also just makes me feel really, really bad. You know, that I thought yeah. he was that old. He wasn't. He was 40. He was 43 when they made those. <laughs> I would lose my mind if I hit 43 and people started calling me old. Right. You know, you would just freak out. But yeah, I I um, I was working at CBC for a time in Canada, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. I had a crafting web series, which is a story <laughs> for another time. But I would always mess around in their archives because they had a database that we had access to. And I found this interview with, I believe he's 18, 18 year old John Tenta. Mm. And he was a notable sumo wrestler who was making the transition to pro wrestling. And he's just so weird looking. <laughs> he's just so shy. I don't know what else to say. By all accounts, he was amazing. I did a movie once with Robert Maia, who was Kurgan. Oh, yes. Uh, and who knew him from the oddities. And he just said he was just the nicest person in the world. But yes, it messes with your head. Was it was it 300? Was that the movie you were in with Kurt? Uh, it's get ready for this. It was called Monster Brawl. It was a pay-per-view. It was like a wrestling pay-per-view of classic monsters wrestling. Robert Maia, Kevin Nash, uh, Jimmy Hart, Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall, Rosemary from Impact, Herb Dean, the ref from UFC. And Art Hindle, who was in, I believe, Black Christmas. Amazing. Yeah. The original or the remake? The original. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I talked to, uh, see, I never bring these up with anybody on here. You've never I, mentioned Art Hindle on the program? Here's before? a name I've never mentioned on the program, Kier DeLay. So, okay. So I took Kier DeLay, who, who was Dave, the astronaut Dave in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yes. He lives near me in Connecticut. So oh my gosh. I, I live in Trumbull. He lives in Fairfield. And I was teaching in, in Westport uh, at Staples High School in Westport, Connecticut. And when I found out he lived nearby, I got Kier DeLay, who's, you know, he Kier DeLay, who is now the age that his character was in 2010 when he shows up and he's like this ancient old man. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> he, he we had him like in the green room and I'm a big horror movie fan. And I brought up Black Christmas because Kier DeLay's in Black Christmas. He plays yes. like the asshole boyfriend, you know, you just the, the self-absorbed 
uh, intellectual boyfriend. And um, I mentioned the movie to him and he said to me something like he goes, oh, yes, you know, um, I did. I've done like 35 movies or whatever the number was. And if I had to rank them all, I think that would probably be the last. <laughs> so yeah, I what, a, what a strange legacy. Yeah. You know, people really love that movie. I will say I make a point at least once a week. I have a little private YouTube playlist for myself that's just called matches and they're old matches, like old, old stuff. And once a week, I try to give myself like, you know, some of those old matches. It's like a watching Citizen Kane or something. You need to give them the time and patience. Yes, you can't you know? be doing other things. Like, like my students would always go, you know, they tried to watch Casablanca and I have no idea what's going on. And I'm going, guys, the plot is the dialogue. There's right. no other action. So yes. if you're not listening to what the characters are saying, you're not going to know what's going on. There's no right. set pieces. There's no big action sequences. You have to just listen. So, yes. Yes. Go on. And one discovery I made, which uh, I know you know about, because I believe we spoke about him, was Larry Shane. Yes. I was going to mention that if you didn't, because when you posted that, because I know about Larry Shane very well, because he was the Sheik's best friend. And so when I did the Sheik book, I learned all about him. I didn't know a lot about him before the book. But the stuff you posted is so amazing. I would encourage people. I don't even know how they'd find it at this point, other than just scouring through months yeah. of your Twitter feed. But no, well, I mean, you can also just look up his Matt. It's Larry C H E N E. Yes, which is a little confusing. And no, his Matt. He was like so average looking. Looked like a real blue collar working guy and obscenely athletic. The likes of which I've never even, maybe not even seen today, compared yeah. to like back then. <clears throat> it's just it's crazy and then his promos were very endearing and earnest and yeah there's a bunch of matches on youtube i you will enjoy this person yes and you know i uh i don't mean i don't want to be such a downer but you know he he died a very tragic death i don't know if mm-hmm. you knew that he was um he was coming home from a match and he was dr- he was an insane driver as so many wrestlers are and he was tra- he was trying to make this incredible stretch of he was basically trying to drive i think from minnesota to illinois overnight which oh is it's like 500 miles or something <clears throat> 400 and you know he 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 was driving at ridiculous speeds and he crashed into a telephone pole and but he was a major major fixture he was a big deal in the detroit area in those years he was a phenomenon as a baby face and like you said the most unassuming i described him in the book just as just amiable just an every man he looked like a guy that would be working at the deli counter you know in your supermarket yeah and things like that and um i actually know and i spoke i've spoken to him on here before um dave brzezinski who was Supermouth Dave Drayson, wrestling manager back in the day. And he grew up as a kid living in the same house as Larry because his parents rented the apartment out to Larry and his family. So as a child, Larry used to bring him to the studio matches. like, And that's how he got into wrestling. You know, this is like going back to the late 50s, early 60s. But I was so glad that you posted that because he's somebody that 
nobody talks about anymore unless you're from that area and you're of a certain age. And there's right. so many people like that in wrestling in different regions, you know? Yes. And someone else who I'd like to point out was a woman by the name of Yuli Brenner. Are you familiar <laughs> with her? Did you post this too? I did not post it. I've definitely sent it to some people, but it was a woman who was a very tall and lanky and had a shaved head. And that was basically the gimmick that she was like similar to Yule Brenner because she was bald, <laughs> which is insane. Number one. But what number back two, then the only bald person on the planet was Yule Brenner, I think. pretty Really? Much. Seriously. This is pre-Telly Savalas. So, I mean, yes. it's just Yule Brenner. And also Yule Brenner, unlike Telly Savalas, was incredibly attractive. I always thought in my mind that if I had a time machine, because I'm also a big comic book fan, uh, the the one character that hasn't really been adapted yet, although I think he's going to be in the new Black Panther, is Namor the Submariner. I don't know if you're a comic book person, but in my mind, if I had a time machine, the most perfect Namor the Submariner would have been Yul Brenner. Yes, he, he'd just have to put a hairpiece on, but other than Which that, he, he'd be good. Yeah, and it's one. I mean, the gimmick is ridiculous enough just to say that, but then to watch the match and watch this woman work her bald head. To get heat and to get like shot, you know, she came out with the towel on and did like, remember when Kane did that? Right. It was like the same routine. And that's the other mind blowing thing when you watch old, old stuff like that is, first of all, you know, the framing of it now is that, oh, it's slow and they used to sit in a headlock for 40 minutes. And that's not true. Bullshit. No, right. it's, it's, you know, almost the opposite. There was so much crazy stuff going on, number one. And number two, you get this, this sick feeling that like so much of what you see now, and when I say now, I mean in the past 50 years or past 100 years, has already been done. But, but thankfully in wrestling, people forget about it. So you could act sure. like it's new. Yeah, yeah, but you, you know, as a as a wrestler, you go, oh, my God, I thought I was so clever doing this. <laughs> and then, like, you know, 70 years ago, somebody was already doing it as a routine. But I also think in a way that if you're looking to, let's say, get heat, for example, I think those guys and gals, they in a way they had it easier because I think the audiences were easier to shock and manipulate than they sure. are now. Like she could come out. You're talking about this character. Yeah. And just basically be like, I'm a woman and I have no hair. Right. And, 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 and half her work was done. You know, sure. the audience was already freaking out or the chic, as I wrote about, I mean, r rampant xenophobia, right? I mean, mm -hmm. he would come out, bow to Mecca already everyone in the place wants to kill him because it's sure. 1950s middle america whereas i think i think guys have to work harder now and i don't i'm not talking about you know moves and 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 yeah. i mean just as character work you got to work harder <clears throat> to get reactions now i think so so i and i i totally agree and also disagree it's a very yes and no because someone like her even though that job was easier she worked it and made the most of it. She wasn't yes. just like, here I am. Sometimes <laughs> there will be really large wrestlers who like back in that day who will just be the great Antonio is a good example of like, right. hey, I'm here. I'm very large and very strong. And then but <laughs> offer really nothing. You know, there's no workmanship behind it. And I do wonder, 
you know, back in that day, if we were able to talk to those people, how in on it they were themselves with what they were doing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, how much of it is by accident and how much of it is like, no, we we completely know what we're doing with this. Rain Antonio, I think, was the guy that Antonio Inoki tried to kill in the ring, basically, right? Or, yes. or that to my were... understanding, Great Antonio did not seem to be that trained. He was more of a and I mean he was a strong man. He was on the Tonight Show a bunch, yes. bending swords, like that whole routine. And then I think they figured he would be just a good guy to bounce off of in the ring. Yeah, there there were guys like that. He was sort of like a like a uh, a boardwalk strong man you know yes. those guys you'd see by the beach lifting weights and showing yes. off their their body like there there were a couple of other wrestlers like that i'm trying to think who basically that was their shtick there was a guy who who was a wrestler in the 50s who's who went by the name of the golden superman i mm-hmm. i've mentioned him a couple times on here another name that's not really well remembered but my grandfather knew him because he had a gym in brooklyn and he was one of those guys. He was like this Adonis. He had platinum blonde hair. He had this perfect physique. His his career actually went back, I think, to the 20s and 30s. But but that was really all he did was like his. Right. He was a body guy. So like even back then, they had the guys that were just sure. body guys. And there was another, and I cannot remember the name of him. I've definitely tweeted about him before years ago. But his his gimmick was he was like a spaceman. Yeah. Well, are you talking about Spaceman Frank Hickey? Yes. Okay. Maybe, yes, I believe. But there's even other there's other ones, crazy yep. ones and zombies and weird. And you just go this. And I also hate the, the framing. And sometimes when people talk like. I don't want to get into it now, but there's sometimes there's older people who knowingly misappropriate what that business was back then. Yes. As everyone thought it was real and blah, 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 blah. And it just tells me like. A, you're trying to get clicks, and B, I don't think you really know your history because I'm looking at a man in the 50s with a space <laughs> helmet on, and I think your argument is pretty much done. You there know? was a there was a wrestler in Hollywood, I think, who was supposed to be a robot, and the and the manager. I'll have to ask Jeff Walton about this. Maybe he knows, but he he had a manager who would like program him before the match. So he'd be right. in the corner, like beep, boop, 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 and, and, you know, programming for his match. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, there were elements of that for sure. And the other thing I bring up too all the time is when we get too caught up in the nostalgia and I love nostalgia, but it's easy to forget that back in, in any time period, you had the old timers who were going, Oh, this is a joke. This is ridiculous. And yes. that, and that was definitely happening in the fifties when, you had all these crazy characters on TV wrestling and you would have the people who were watching wrestling, you know, back in the days of Frank Gotch and Jim Londis, who were still alive at that time right. and going, this is not the wrestling I recognize. This is like a cartoon show. And now we look back at those days as like you said, you know, just the most dry guys in a headlock and mm-hmm. the audience 100% believing it's real, which, yeah. you know, is just not true. I think, it's not it's not like today. I, I do think there was a portion of the audience that fully believed in what they were seeing. Mm-hmm. And, and well, I also, think there always is to a certain not extent. Not so much now, though. I don't know. <laughs> no. That's the thing. Like, like even that changed fairly recently, though. Like, let me give yeah. you an example. Like, um, you've seen Wrestling with Shadows, I'm sure. The Bret Hart. I'm 
I've seen it. Of course. You know, so this is very weird. When I was a child, I had a friend who was family friends with Carl DeMarco. Oh, man. Yes, of course. Who you will recognize as what? President of WWF Canada? That yeah, was he, he took over from Jack Tunney, who that was Jack Tunney's real job was, yes. was president of WWF Canada. And he got me an autograph from Brett literally right after Montreal or right after he had, I guess, signed with WCW because the autograph says to RJ, Brett the Hitman Hart. And then he wrote, WWF crossed it out and then wrote WCW. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. But in that documentary, they interview fans because um, they're they're doing the whole lead up to Brett versus Sean and the U.S. versus Canada. And they got these fans and, and they are earnestly, you know, talking down Brett and He's a or he's a traitor, you know, or he's a Canadian, and and then they get the Canadian fans talking down Sean and all this. And I mean, these people are not great actors or anything. Like they really right. believe what they're saying. This is 1997. There is no way you could make a documentary like that now and find mm-hmm. fans like that now who are in full command of their faculties and <laughs> over the age of 13. To say things like that. That is something that's changed for sure. Yes. And that was also, you know, a part of the culture. I always think of that, that U.S. versus Canada thing as synonymous with also like blame Canada on South Park. (laughs) There was like these cultural issues where maybe it would just hit you, you know, a certain way that would suck certain people in. Yes, that's Um, true. But yes, no, I, I always love. And I guess that. Old stuff that I'm talking about, Larry Shane and Yuli Brenner, it's not nostalgic to me because I was not around for it. Right. You know, I mean, the nostalgic is like late 80s, early 90s to me. And my my bit and my stand up was always uh, wrestling was not better when you were younger. It was better because you were younger because you were a stupider person than you are now. That was always you were easier to impress. Yes. And right? you also you didn't poke too many holes like IRS had a stable job <laughs> with benefits. Why would he be right? There's no reason for him to be. Right. Also, I was I'm a little older than you. So I was old enough with some of those characters of that era to go, wait a minute. Right. That's my, that's Mike Rotundo. Like, I don't understand. Why is he an accountant now? Or yeah. like, like Tony Atlas is now. Saba Simba right. from the from the plains of Africa. Yes. And I can't I remember even there was this infamous thing on commentary where Roddy Piper, who was doing commentary with Vince, goes, Come on, Vince, that's not Saba Simba, man. That's Tony Atlas. This is ridiculous. I know Tony, you know. And and so, like, there was that going on too, of just being just old enough to go. What's what? I know the Skinner guy. Wasn't he in the fabulous ones or yeah. you know, that kind of thing, which I feel like and you you would be the exception. Most people in your age bracket would probably just age out. Yes, I know. I'm uh, I'm I'm emotionally handicapped, so I never really <laughs> progressed beyond uh, wrestling. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, what are you going to do? But I wanted to and I want to ask you about that, too, Please. because it all it all connects to me because we're talking about how you get you go down these rabbit holes 
and you get people just get interested in in these older things and older forms of entertainment like with wrestling for me like I, my i started watching in the 80s late 80s but i became as i got older through magazines and just the early days of the internet i just got more and more of an interest in learning about the history of wrestling so i just kind of got pulled into it it was just this very individual journey that i went on but with entertainment stuff general entertainment stuff I grew up in a family of people that were, you know, this, despite my name, this extended Italian American family where I had the million aunts and uncles who never got married and they all lived together and my grandparents there and, you know, big crazy holidays and Sunday dinners. And so I was raised by these people of the World War II depression era. And all this stuff was just burned into my brain the music the movies that the you know everything was better back then that was a continuous theme that yes. i heard growing up and that's how i got into all that stuff i'm curious how in the world did you get exposed to all these things the exact same way and it was just my grandmother of you know laurel and hardy who's she was from queens she was from brooklyn and then she lived in queens and but it was always like laurel and hardy abbott and costello you have to watch this and as a kid, I, they were very entertaining, but I assumed everyone Me my too. age would watch it. Why wouldn't you? This is a pair, allegedly, according to my grandmother, this is the best. So why yes. wouldn't everyone be watching the best? You know, why? I don't understand. And But she would always, always do that. And then that just became, and then I identified, and now it all makes sense why I was into things like The Muppet Show and the Three Amigos, even, which is like such an old show business throwback, is because, yeah. well, it's it's linking to what I was told was the best. I was told there was no one funnier than Jerry Lewis. So all these people now seem to be wrong. And it, it also seemed weird. And, and this is is when I get really like, you know, come off very critical or snobbish or whatever. And then like, his kids my age would be like, oh, Jim Carrey. And I'm like, no, no, have you seen The Nutty Professor? Not the <laughs> Eddie Murphy. I mean, that's okay. But like, look at this, you know? Yeah. So I, yeah, I blame her. And then like, she put me on that timeline and I've only gone backwards. Yes, me too. This is all so familiar. This is my story. We have the same story. And then, but do you have a, a I have a real blind spot in the 80s and 90s. Well, but but that's when I was a kid. So, right. But the difference was even then, because people will say, oh, Solomon, you're like an old man. What is, I don't understand it. I was like that even as a kid. Like, like I remember getting into because my sister was not, you know, my sister mm. was very much au courant. You know, she yes. loved Cindy Lauper. She was and French. Michael, <laughs> Michael Jackson and, you know, whatever boy George and whatever was hot. And and I remember just being I really was like an outcast sometimes because i'd be you know my my dad would have me listening to you know big bands my right. grandfather would have me listening to you know sinatra and dean martin and bing crosby my uncle who was in musical theater and was a performer would have me listening to opera and classical music so it was anything but current popular music so i was like in a weird bubble even then and so i've grown up and i try to break out of it sometimes but i still have those ingrained things that that it was just better i just can't help it and i become insufferable to be around sometimes because 
I'll be w- w- watching a movie or listening to music or something, and I'm just I just can't enjoy it. Yes, because I'm spoiled. I'm just spoiled, and I'm sitting there giving like a musical lecture, like an idiot, going like, yeah. going like, um, uh, um, no one is going to be writing books about this music 50 years from now, how it was recorded, who were on the sessions, who was in the studio. Right. Are they going to do that with Taylor Swift records? I don't think so. Do they do, do they do it with Sinatra records? Yes, they do. Right. And then people just go, go away. I don't want to talk to you. You know, I will, you know, it's this, yeah, we were harshly pop culture parented and mm-hmm. we're suffering the effects of it. And my but kids I will now, say, go ahead. No, I was just going to say my kids, because I did that now with my kids. Yeah. And my kids go to me, Dad, what did you do to us? I can't even have a conversation with my friends because they have no idea what I'm talking about. You know, yes. my son's talking about the Marx Brothers and Ella Fitzgerald, and they're going, who, what? Well, you even know? even now, though, like the, the modern in the landscape has become so fragmented mm-hmm. where there aren't a mainstream like like a Sinatra where I guess not and not in my day, but every single person knew True. and listened and whatever. There's so many smaller. There's more and they're smaller and there's no I always argue that there's no mainstream at all. It's just, you know, more and more niche stuff so that you really don't have that kind of collective experience anymore like the newspaper. You don't you can like curate your feed and watch what you want and ignore what you want, which is great. You know, I mean, it's good and bad, but I also love going back to the old stuff with a fresh pair of eyes from now and being able to go, gee, as great as a lot of Frank Sinatra songs were, he had he had a lot of very, very bad songs. In the later years, yes. Yes. I will. It's one of those, he's got a ratio where for like every one absolute classic, he's got two or three where it just sounds like he's reading a Hallmark card over strings. Have you ever heard his version of Mrs. Robinson? Yes, I have. Okay. Oh my God. Uh, what what is the line? Jilly, Jilly loves, loves you more you than more you will than know. You can, what what is wrong because, with you? Because you know that Sinatra is in the studio going like, "I'm not taking the Lord in vain, baby. Yes. I'm not saying yes. that word unless we're in church, baby." Yeah, with a cigarette and a pencil in the same hand, right. <laughs> crossing out. And he, uh, I was listening to, I, I'm friends with a guy named Tony Thaxton who does a podcast called Bizarre Albums. And he looked at one of Sinatra's uh, newer albums, The Past, Present, Future. Are you familiar with that? Thing? Yes, the, it's called Trilogy. And the yes. future part is unlistenable. Yes. Unlistenable. Yes. And I believe it was put together by a guy named Joe Raposo. Yeah. Who was the Muppet Sesame Street guy with the Muppet Sesame Street guy. But he also did, I believe, the Three's Company theme. Yeah. But he wrote like being green and yes. C is for cookie and all that stuff. Yeah. And he also did um, the theme to Steampipe Alley which was it, Mario Cantone's kids show. It all comes full circle. <laughs> and I asked Mario about that because I thought, how did he, this is a legendary guy. What is he doing? And I believe his wife or something worked in the studio where they were filming. So he came oh. in and did it as like a favor. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Sinatra and 
So Sinatra is an obsessive subject of mine. Like I sure. could, I could and will write a book one day about Sinatra, but he became really good friends with Joe Raposo. I think the Italian thing was part of it yes. where, so yes, with Frank, here's the thing. <laughs> There's a giant asterisk that I always tell people. Cause when I, when I say I like Frank Sinatra, they immediately will bring up like his worst stuff, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, like when he did yesterday and things right. like that. And here's the thing. You have to look, there's a specific range of time, and I and I could name it basically to the year. It's the prime Frank is 1953 through 1967. And it's a little window of time. Now, before that, he's very good, but he's yeah. still in his formative years. But he's a lot still- of people also forget, like he was so the running joke was that he was skinny. Right. He was the right. He was like, I always a, felt bad for him. If you see like early Frank Sinatra, if you hear it on the radio or whatever, and they're like, oh, what what was it? How'd you get here? Was there a strong breeze? And I was <laughs> like, oh, this poor guy. Or the cartoons where they would draw him where he would stand behind the mic stand and you couldn't see him anymore. <laughs> yes. You know, but when you get to the end of that, so that's the spectrum 5367. That's yeah. when he is just a powerhouse. He could do no wrong in my eyes. He's just doing incredible music and amazing interpretations of popular songs but then what happens in the 60s is the desperation that happened to a lot of singers the beatles rock and roll they're getting pushed off the charts and they start making bad decisions so he started trying to do rock and roll songs and doo-wop songs and all these things he shouldn't have been doing and 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 the arrangements weren't good anymore and and just questionable there was still good stuff but it just started getting more and more questionable. And then his voice started to get weaker from all the mm-hmm. smoking and drinking. It really did. But majority of 50s and 60s Sinatra, I will put up there against anything that's ever been recorded. He was also, when that cultural change happened, he was not good at hiding his resentment. Right. As opposed no. to Sammy Davis Jr., who was like, let me get in there with these kids, you know, who seemed to like enjoy things that were happening. Yes, he he well, it's almost like he took it personally, like you can read some comments and stuff that he made. I know he later did like an appearance with Elvis and it's very famous. But I but I think he was gritting his teeth because he he had no love for rock and roll music. He saw it. A lot of those people did. I've seen interviews with Mel Torme and Mm -hmm. Joe Stafford and people where they saw it as an attack on their livelihood, you know, like they were really hurt by it. Yeah. And then I enjoy like. Finding out more and more about Dean Martin, that he got a nose job. Early, yeah. Yeah, which, oh my, could you imagine getting a nose job in what, the 40s or 50s? Yeah. Imagine what a painful process that must have been. And now it's it's so strange to watch Dean Martin Variety Show and see Dom DeLuise make cracks at his nose and going, oh my God, this is like a huge dig, like just to him. That yes. most people aren't even aware of. Or I think they they used to make a lot of subtle, veiled jokes about Bing Crosby's um, impotency, which is wow. insane. And that's something that I picked up on the Gilbert Gottfried show because they would talk about things like that where I forget the jokes. I couldn't do them justice. But the gist of it is, you know, basically like limp dick jokes. I mean, about right. Bing Crosby, but in, right. in a way that you could get away with on TV in the 60s, you know. <laughs> Supposedly, there was a feud between Jerry Lewis and Bing Crosby because on one 
I don't know. Like everyone had a TV show at one point. He thought Bing Bing was wearing a toupee. Right. And he thought Jerry was going to grab his toupee. And Jerry alleges that even as crazy as he got comedically, that's something he would never do. He would respect a man's toupee. Yeah, that was I mean, I can't remember any instance. And all those guys were wearing rugs back then of somebody doing that. That would have been almost I feel like maybe career suicide if you did something and and the only person i can recall was doing it was like charles nelson riley doing it to himself right and that was the gag yeah yeah that was the whole gag that would be like jackie mason giving the finger on the ed sullivan show and then getting blacklisted yes the famous story yeah i know but but yeah frank had a frank did that flip where he 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 was originally seen as one of the most progressive people in hollywood he really was Mm -hmm. He was always and he was always with the Democrats and Kennedy and all that. Right. And then he I think he just felt that the culture betrayed him. It mm-hmm. was almost it was almost like a supervillain origin story. Like he he used to be the good guy, like he was Harvey Dent, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then and he then just he turned also, on the culture. He also was very power hungry. Yes. He was after power, which was just at some point. You're just like, that's weird. Like, you know what I mean? It is. And that's why, like, I, I'll have my, my wife because she lives with me. She listens to a lot of this music <laughs> and she goes, you know, I know you're going to hate me for saying this, but I think Tony Bennett is way better than Frank Sinatra. And and she'll and I'll like bristle the hairs on my neck go up. But she'll say and other people have said this to me that he's just nicer. He's a nice man. <laughs> right. He's not mad for power. Yeah, he doesn't have these insane mood swings and crazy grudges, and he's not an egomaniac. He just seems like a nice, sweet man, even when he was young. So maybe he just has a good PR person. Yeah, I, I sometimes wonder if behind the scenes, Tony Bennett was just like a bastard. Just I will say one of my, I mean, my uh, personal favorite, and I also say this because Sinatra allegedly said it's the one man he would not follow. Uh, is Bobby Darren not follow in the sense that he just thought he was too good or he didn't want to be associated with him? No, no, it was that he thought he was too good because he he was one of those guys who could play every instrument, yes, and you know, sing and dance, and was also a decent actor and you know, could pretty much do any style, and he did, yes, yes, he did folk music. I mean, he, yeah. He tried his hand at everything. Yeah. yeah. When he became Bob Darren. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> I remember that from the famous Kevin Spacey movie, Beyond the Sea, in which. Oh, my God. What a it... <laughs> horrible. I mean, a really fast. It's a shame because it's a fascinating life and an interesting person. And then, like, that movie was just. Yeah. Oh, my well, God. Ke- Kevin Spacey was older when he did the movie than Bobby Darren was when he died. You know, and now and we're back to the old shaming of Bobby Darren. <laughs> See how it comes full circle. But all yeah. those, I was actually, I got a kick on those TV biopics. There's one on Ernie Kovacs that was uh, Jeff Goldblum plays Ernie Kovacs. When was that? I don't think oh I know. Oh my that. God. Um, probably early 90s, if not the late 80s. And it's the, like, whoa. The horror, well, the horrible thing about Ernie Kovacs is like, I guess, because you're talking about 30 years ago mm-hmm. where, where he's still 
in living memory is the story on him was he had this brilliant comedy show on TV. It was hugely influential. There were absolutely no surviving tapes of it because they destroyed everything for some stupid reason. So unless you were alive then and you saw it, you have absolutely no memory of it whatsoever. So I think like 30 years ago, you probably still had a lot of people who saw the Ernie Kovac show on TV. But those now TV you can't the, the things I found on him are incredible. There's a thing on YouTube. It's a supercut of psych gags he did where you were like, and it reminds me of like, you know, the like TikTok videos where people do like magic or cutscene TikTok stuff. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow, like and again, back to like, ooh, I guess all this stuff really isn't that new. It really feels like you're watching modern stuff. And it's fascinating. There's also a really bad Gilda Radner biopic starring Jamie Gertz. What special <laughs> mention to that. This is wow. These are things to look up. And I know <laughs> yes. if you're if you're a fan of the of the old Gilbert show as I was, and uh, then you definitely know about Bud and Lou, the Buddy Abbott oh and Lou God. Costello movie with Harvey Corman and yes. Buddy Hackett, right? Yes. Who what acted else? like they had never actually seen Abbott and Costello in their yes. life. What else people don't talk about, and I was doing research and I had stumbled upon it, was that Larry Harmon, the guy who ended up, and this is how I know, is because David Arquette now owns Bozo the Clown. I don't know if you're familiar with this journey. He's no. reviving oh, Bozo, oh, yeah, he's yeah, okay. redesigning it, and he's doing a whole thing. Before that, the longest owner was Larry Harmon. And he, you know, he franchised it out and he's the reason it was all over local television. But he had also become, you know, part owner or something of Laurel and Hardy and tried to reboot live action Laurel and Hardy with Bronson Pink Show as Stan Laurel. I cannot for the life of me remember who played Oliver Hardy, but and I have yet to see the movie. I've only seen clips and a featurette, but oh, my God. It has something to do with a mummy. Yes. Yes. They go to Egypt and there's a curse and and they really (laughs) thought they could because there was a Laurel and Hardy cartoon before that. And it almost feels like, remember when they did, it really wasn't that long ago, the Three Stooges? Yes. Which was, I have to say, way better than it had any right to be. I don't know if you agree, but I actually thought it was very funny and well done. I was shocked, even though Will Sasso is about four times the size of Mo Howard. But other yes, than that. no, Will Sasso is just a big person, period. I'm not Mo Howard, Curly Howard. They're going to kill me for yes. that. Yes. Oh, my God. Will, Will Sasso played Curly. Yes. Curly was I mean, yes, Curly was chubby. Yeah, but he was a little guy. They were all these little Jewish guys, right? And Will Sasso is a mountain, you know. Will Sasso, I mean, obviously he is a wrestling fan, and he did make some appearances, but he should have wrestled. Period. Mm. He He's would have funny. been fantastic. Yeah, the stuff he did in was it WCW with Bret Hart, uh, and then WWE. He was Steve Austin. Yes, and he, he did great. a lot on Mad TV. He did like Jesse Ventura and all that stuff. Right. So. Boy, this is I don't even know. I don't want to stop this, but I feel like we could just keep going for hours and hours. Anything other odd questions to round it out? Is there anything we overlooked? There are a million things that I could (laughs) ask to to round it out. Actually, I I should say to to round it out and people either people love the the non wrestling non sequiturs and things or they hate it. But I don't care. It's my show. But we, we talked about in the even before we went on the air, how we both loved the Gilbert Gottfried Amazing Colossal podcast. And yeah. I have to say, like, 
that podcast and loving it and listening to it. And it was my favorite one. And it was really one of the only ones I listened to. It, it made me excited about the idea of even podcasting in general, where mm. of the possibilities of what you can do and the conversations you can have. So I just think it's really cool that you were, you're also was, were a big fan of that show too. Well, what I think is nice. And like, I, it's, I, as you, it's like just hits my sweet spot of everything that I like talking about. But I like I have my own YouTube and I talk about weird stuff constantly. And it's so nice to like hear people go, oh, my God, you mentioned this person and I looked them up and now I'm like a fan of this person. And it's like, oh, because like that's what I did. I didn't you know, again, I'm not 100 years old, despite what people may tell you. <laughs> I learned this stuff and luckily it's all accessible. So there's no reason if you want to learn about it, there's no reason not to. There's more than enough Lawrence Welk clips available online. That's true. I used to watch the the repeats. They were on public television they in New still York. Are. My they grandfather still would watch it and I would be like kind of it was one of those things you probably had the same experience where in those days, the TV options were just so much more limited, especially when I was a kid. One of the reasons, too, why I got exposed to so many things is I didn't have a choice. I was like mm -hmm. a captive audience. So, yeah, you you know, this is pre-cable. There were like five or six channels and whatever the grownups had on, you were just absorbing it. Or even as a kid, even if you were controlling the remote, you could only watch what was on, at least, in you know, in my era. So, like. In those days, the old stuff was much more commonly found on TV. You could just yeah. be flipping around and the little rascals are on after school. So, yeah, I'm watching the little rascals. But, you know, those things aren't really on TV anymore. You have to work harder. I mean, yes, it's all accessible, yes. like you said, but you have to work to find it. You have to actually make the effort to find it. I think that's the difference now. Yes, but not even that. You could literally just Google Lawrence Welk or YouTube June Castle who was the, their ragtime piano queen. And she's just like ripping it up. And you're like, well, this is nice. I also love watching that stuff because it's hilarious to me. Yes. Well, that's where they get the old, um, the bit they would do with Kristen Wiig on Saturday Night Live with the, the sisters with the little tiny hands. Yes. Who were, who yes, were based course. on somebody from that show, but I don't, he I don't know. He also, who. I want to say, Lawrence Welk, there's a museum. I believe it's in California. There's a little museum or North Carolina. The best part is he's from like Dakota, like South Dakota or something. Everyone thought he was from another country. He, Yeah, uh, he had a strange accent. I, I assumed he yeah. was from another country. Like I thought he was no. Dutch or something. No, the South Dakota schooling system was just oh, not so strange. hot. Yeah, that's strange. Okay, so like so so because you mentioned there's a Lawrence Welk Museum, I have to say this and then I'm going to quickly bring yes. it back to wrestling. But it makes me very sad when I was every New Year's again, because I'm weird <laughs> and strange and raised yeah. by old people. Every New Year, I try to watch the New Year's shows and they're just so awful to me, like the 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 uh, uh, Ryan Seacrest and all that. Sure. And all I heard about growing up was Guy Lombardo. <laughs> and and I'll look up Guy Lombardo New Year's clips. And then I discovered that Guy Lombardo, who was like the king of New Year's, basically mm. from the 20s into the 70s on radio and TV, that they tried to open a museum of Guy Lombardo and nobody had any interest. And his family, uh, this was a guy that was known uh, to every American. He was they called him Mr. New Year's. Right. He was like he was bigger than Dick Clark was. And they have all of his stuff his family has in storage <laughs> units 
because no one wanted to open a Guy Lombardo museum. Oh, my God. But I will bring it back to wrestling before we quit. Yes. The thing I want to tie it up with a bow on is the thing that first made me very interested in you and having you on here is I look, I haven't been in wrestling locker rooms in a long time. It's been it's been a number of years, but I can't imagine that there are many people in wrestling locker rooms who who obsess and talk about the things that you are into. And I'm just curious about how what kind of reactions you get because your show, the, the Hey You show is like almost hey, like well, may if I may correct, hey EW, we may be. Oh, I'm Please. an idiot. Please. I'm a fool. Don't hey, you get EW. it? Doesn't it yes. make sense now? Yeah, it does make sense now. I thought it was like, hey, you. Damn it. Anyway, Come hey, on. I'm a fool. But the premise of that is basically based on exactly what I'm talking about. The reactions that you will get from people in wrestling with all these references and things. So how much of that is a reflection of your actual experience? I think most of it is a reflection <laughs> of my actual experience, but I do love uh, throwing stuff out there and then like having people know about, it. I mean, luckily in AEW, there's a lot of people like Tony Schiavone is a great example. William Regal that are very like students of show business. Yes. You know? I've heard and Shivani's are, a huge Star Trek fan. I heard. Yes. And like Excalibur knows his stuff very, very well. Bryce Remsburg certainly knows a lot of stuff. Well, so, he certainly doesn't know about refereeing. So it's good to hear that he knows about other things. Uh, it slips by him sometimes. <laughs> it slips by him. What are you going to do? But so luckily there are like just people like that who can talk about that old stuff all the time. But yeah, I think most people just assume, and I think I'm lucky now where I could just make up a name and people just assume it's an old reference they don't <laughs> get. It's very fortunate to me. That's but fantastic. I do enjoy, yeah, make trying to make those connections and then just getting a wall. When, when I do Hey W and I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I have a connection in my brain that I am going to ask about. But then the craziest thing is that I will stumble onto actual stuff. People, I mean, Arn Anderson blew me away. That's my was, favorite one, I think. It's for a lot of people. It's like, if you want to like the first episode, if you're not familiar with this, Arn's a great example. Because you think, you know, these people are not going to, these people are going to have nothing in common. And for the most part, we don't. And I think that's what we have in common. But they all have a sense of humor. That's what makes it work. They and I'm not. Do, and I'm happy to to like somebody like Arn, who and it was such a like great comment I read on it was like, oh my god, I didn't realize Arn Anderson was this funny. I'm going to go back and watch all his old stuff. And I'm like, you know, Don't. mission accomplished for me. <laughs> but then you know his promos are hilarious. That's they're true, very yes. quick. Like he's great, and he it's so nice to like showcase that in a totally different way. See, this is this is what I love about what you do. And I, and I hope that, well, as my grandmother would say, from my lips to God's ears. Yes. I, I hope they use you more over there because I'm putting you over like crazy here. I'm sorry, but and, and I would say this even if you weren't here, but you are a unique voice in the world of wrestling. Wrestling needs this kind of humor and just self-awareness because, yes, there is humor in wrestling. But a lot of it's dumb, and I'll be the one to say it. I'm sorry, RJ. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's a totally lot of fine. it's not 
funny and it's lame and you're yeah. actually clever and witty and urbane and all those other things. So, well, thank you. But I would, I would also say certainly to Tony's credit to he knew my stuff and was like, Hey, like, why don't you come do this? And once he, he gave a green light, no one has given me a note. No <laughs> one has looked at any of my scripts. I have absolutely no idea why. I mean, me and Dan Housing did a video in the car where we ended up doing the lyrics to Perfect Strangers and nobody was even asking <laughs> what we were doing. And so I'm very lucky that I guess people think I'm, I guess, worth that trust to not have to supervise in that sense. Well, they basically had you open up all out. I mean, uh, which clearly w was the most talked about moment of the night. I think everyone would agree was your. It, it was me uh, hiding behind a plant. But you had my favorite line of the night, which and I'm going to screw it up. I can't do it. But you yes. said something like there's violence in the air, but also love. But also <laughs> love. <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm so happy that, you know, people can get and people I mean, meaning Tony and AEW is just like, here's a mic. We're going live. There's no script. Kind of, you know, enjoy yourself. Certainly Good. they at least trust that I'll get the message across, but also that I can do it in that in that way. And I do think I'm the first person in wrestling history to mention Lawrence Welk in a major wrestling company. I think that is a historical. And we, if, you know, something tragic happens and you have to write my PWI obituary, oh, please God. include that. I will. I think that's okay. important to mention. That's ve that's very important to mention. Just struggling to breathe and tell tell Brian Lawrence Welk <laughs> and the one and the two and the three. -er. Yeah, I will. Thanks. RJ City, this has been phenomenal, awesome, fantastic, everything that I hoped it would be. Thank well, you. Thank you. Look up Larry Shane. Yes, please. I'm going to be pushing that like crazy when I yes. post this. I'm going to be putting Larry Shane links up and all this other stuff. I think this is the only podcast that will come with footnotes. <laughs> I prefer end notes. That's what I usually <laughs> Sorry, call them. Excuse me. Thank you so much. We have to do it again, of course. Yes. One, well, see how this one goes first. True. True. That's a good point. Yeah. There you have it, folks. My conversation with R.J. City, and I hope that that was everything that you hoped it would be, because it was for me. And if you don't follow R.J. City, I encourage you to follow him on Twitter. He is hilarious, and the clips he posts and the tweets that he posts are hilarious. And as I said in the interview, something that we need a little bit more of in the world of pro wrestling from my point of view, at least. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, got more in the weeks to come, as I always do, because next week we're going to have on Shut Up and Wrestle somebody that I'm actually seeing um, this week at Cauliflower Alley, and that is the longtime promoter and impresario of professional wrestling, Mr. Sheldon Goldberg. He will be coming uh, as to next week's show. Also, as I mentioned at the top, we've got Keith Caramello. I know I was talking about how the audio isn't the greatest for that one, but the content is because Keith was uh, an artist at the highest levels of WWE, creating belts for them, creating designs for them, uh, doing a lot of work for them uh, that you may not even know or, or knew were, were his. And you're going to find out when he's on the show. So keep listening. Uh, there's lots of ways you can find this show. Our website is SU. UAWpod.com. 
But you can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're looking for a little bit more than that in your life, go to the Facebook group because we've got one. Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. If you're a member, you know what I mean. I'm always posting clips there. We're always having discussions there talking about past guests, future guests. So that's the place to be. Look it up on Facebook. You'll find it. Um, if you're interested in checking out the wrestling news from Arcadian Vanguard, which I'm so proud to be a part of, I encourage you to do that at thewrestlingnews.com every morning. It's your 10-minute fix of all the wrestling news that you can handle, the good stuff. Um, also, my book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, you can get in print, digital, or audiobook copy narrated by yours truly, at amazon.com you can get copies of the magazines that i write in pro wrestling illustrated they've got the pwi 500 out right now and you can get it at get uh i'm sorry at pwi-online.com and uh, inside the ropes magazine love writing for them have the cover story right now with the vince mcmahon cover story you can get those issues at inside the ropes magazine Dot com. If you're looking for me anywhere on social media, God knows why you would be. But if you are, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. You can find me on Facebook, my my author page on Facebook, uh, Brian R. Solomon or Brian Solomon Writer. And if you go to any of those social media locations, you will find links to my author web page on the World Wide Web. Lots of places to find me. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that mares eat oats and dozy oats, but little lambs eat oats. So long, wrestling fans. 